Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's, but the pandemic is over. When you see the road from every direction, it will give you eyes, give you hope. It'll give you perspective. I've been back and forth. Yeah, I had my crashes Now I've seen the road It goes every direction What do you got for the episode tonight? Shall we get into it? We have Queen Elizabeth II One of her final keynote speeches uh, Called We Will Meet Again uh, delivered on April 5th, 2020. Uh, this is pretty monumental. Uh, the green, the evergreen aspect of this for uh, our speech uh, comes just a couple weeks after her passing as a 70-year monarch. So we're going to talk about her speech. We will meet again right before or during COVID kicked off. So just as like a nice little benchmark as well, it's this came up in the Mike and Ross origin friendship episode. But remember, the speech guys originated in the uh, the dawn of COVID, the DOC, <laughs> right? When when we drove across the Armageddon Street, the Armageddon interstate, empty interstates to yeah, uh, that was wild. Persi- <laughs> persist in the. Uh, the uh, spring spring rendezvous. So, and we emerge at the the dusk or the end of the pandemic, as President Biden recently said. So, I think that is the framing. It was declared COVID is officially over by the the U.S. Supreme Leader, uh, the really? U.S. President. When did he say that? Uh, this week. Oh, yeah. I didn't. All right. And so we're bookending that with the the beginning of it, the origins of how we got into publicly sharing the way that we talk on camping trips and whenever we meet up. So we've uh, yeah, you are no longer if you say the word COVID ever again after this episode, you owe each other ten dollars to your favorite chair. <laughs> um, and I think that's that's something we can get in. What I. Yeah, well, I'd like to compare that comment at some point with how your grandma would or if she ever talked about the Great Depression. In contrast, okay. the... Yeah, interesting. So maybe book in that, with. think that. Um, um, one other bit, we have earned one COVID blue ribbon, I like to say, from Spotify. <laughs> what, it, what does that mean? I don't even know what a blue ribbon is. It, it's that little banner that they put across some podcast episodes of any podcast. Learn more about COVID-19. Um, just to be clear, that does not mean that misinformation was spread. All that means is that you mentioned COVID a certain number of times. I did verify mm-hmm. uh, this. It's that the the Jimmy V episode when you all had <laughs> when we all had COVID. So uh, I expect this to be our second and last uh, blue ribbon episode. But um, should we uh, should we go ahead and listen uh, to the bit of the speech that you want to present here? This is. 
Queen Elizabeth II's speech, April 2020, we will meet again. I hope in the years to come, everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to this challenge. And those who come after us will say the Britons of this generation were as strong as any, that the attributes of self-discipline, of quiet, good-humoured resolve, and of fellow feeling still characterise this country. The pride in who we are is not a part of our past. It defines our present and our future. And though self-isolating may at times be hard, many people of all faiths and of none are discovering that it presents an opportunity to slow down, pause and reflect in prayer or meditation. We should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. But for now, I send my thanks and warmest good wishes to you all. What were your initial thoughts hearing how she addressed the nation and essentially the world as the queen mother, the mother being our final aspect of the uh, quadrilateral theme. Um, yeah, what struck you? Should we play a little bit with what we were exactly doing in, what was it, April when she gave the speech? What our COVID, by this point, wasn't super hard lockdown, but it was still fairly hard lockdown. April was, April was deep lockdown. Illinois, we didn't, we didn't see sunlight till May 1st. Landon was mm -hmm. in the hole. Any other like practical details on what that period looked like for you guys? Married, unmarried, child, childless. <clears throat> I was trying to become married, um, so I uh, I remember like that was especially because Claire and I were, were still living. Uh, she was in Peoria. I was in the suburbs. So at initially we were like, crap, we might not be able to see each other for like a good while just because we weren't really sure how things would shake down and especially both being in healthcare, like what our responsibilities would be. Um, I ended up doing nothing the first two weeks, <laughs> uh, which initially I had this like kind of uh, romantic thoughts that I would be called into action in some way that's way beyond my capacity and have to step up and do these heroic things. And work Who knows how to do a lung a transplant? <laughs> <laughs> Quick, you're a therapist. You could do this. But uh, <laughs> and then you would say, "Oh, that's not going to do anything." <laughs> <laughs> Basically, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like it was just kind of an interesting and kind of uh, funny and humbling situation that I literally did nothing the first two weeks. Um, and eventually, I they I was working as a tech in a hospital, basically wiping butts and helping old people to bathrooms and things. Um. But I do remember distinctly um, stores were closed until – so it was the hardcore lockdown throughout April, um, but it was a less hardcore lockdown through May. And I remember I was looking to get a ring for Claire mm. um, huh. in, that long ago, in the huh? end of May. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, but none of the jewelry stores were open. 
and then so I I go I finally find one. They let me in, even though they technically were were just you know doing whatever. They, you know, they weren't technically open, but they let me come in and and look at some rings and things. So you bought a blood diamond for Claire, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I I went there and I was gonna shop around the following week when more stores were open. But then all the jewelry stores were shut down because of all the riots and looting that were going on <laughs> for yeah. the George huh. Floyd stuff. So jewelry stores had shut down. Like yeah. other stores yeah. were open, like other retail things with less expensive merchandise. But obviously a jewelry store getting robbed is a little more financially crippling than, you know, like a record store getting robbed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like all the jewelry stores are basically closed and moved their inventory elsewhere and hmm. said they couldn't shop for a ring so i ended up just going with the first place because i mean well one it was a beautiful ring but two i didn't (laughs) it would have taken a while to look at anything else so uh so yeah just kind of a funny uh early covid life situation i was teaching at jabot i remember um we uh there were like a few weeks of assignments, but the students did not have to do them and they were not graded. So <laughs> I was the only one who did them, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, no, there actually were a few students who did them. Um, I spent, I remember, I, I definitely look back with a little bit of romanticism about, man, those quiet times were just really sort of nice. I mean, yeah, they were, they were nice as a nice little one-off sort of thing. Um, I remember like trying to like sort of climb the bluffs around Columbia, like a very low grade free soloing. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized you can't just like walk up to a rock and start climbing it. Of like, I wanted to like just move laterally, uh, do like traversing. Yeah, it it just it it did not work out. Um, I spent a lot of time doing dishes by hand. And treating myself to a little bit more television, maybe like an hour per day instead of like twenty to thirty minutes per day. So like little you indulgent I know. little. I still have the scars from lashing myself for that. <laughs> um, yeah, th- those are the biggest bit. Um, yeah, th- those were the most things that stuck out to me for my, mm-hmm. my COVID lockdown. Yeah. I um I had my annual golf trip to Phoenix, Arizona. So I like wrapped up, like prepared work. It was just like a four day golf trip, but um left, kind of like cleaned my desk, left, you know, ev- basically everything shut down while I was in the air heading to Phoenix. Like the NCAA tournament was canceled, the NBA, like pretty much all bars and restaurants were closed, and then like companies followed suit. Like, oh, we're working from home. Um, and I never, ever sat at that desk again. Um, Whoa. I, we, you know, we're a San Francisco tech company, so it was pretty clear, like, flatten the curve was not going to be a two-week thing. Like, it was just going to, until everything was clear. So that went on two years and kind of <laughs> moved on to other jobs. But, yeah, walking out. For a golf trip, it's like you never thought. Yeah. That was your last day, essentially. (laughs) Yeah. That's wild. No, like, all right. Any, the content or the context? Any thoughts? I mean, it's a short speech, but what's interesting about it 
and fact check me, I think I read this twice. This is only her fifth televised speech over 70 years. Yeah. So, what, 1949 to 51, whatever. Um, 70 years, all that unfolded in the world, and the British monarch. Television was around day one of her monarchy. So um, maybe a good context first bit is like what those other four speeches were. <clears throat> yep. The other four speeches were... Gulf War, Princess Diana death. Two other deaths, right? Um, when her mom died. Yeah. At 102. They got some good genes in that family. Um, uh, but, but, uh, something about World War II. It was 1940, so I don't yeah. think they were necessarily just starting participation. But yeah, uh, that's four. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So, like, two internal deaths, essentially, and three world events <clears throat> that she commented on, essentially. Yeah. Um, I thought the line, a quiet, good-humored resolve, <laughs> like, I don't think we have that. <laughs> I think she was trying to project there, and we did not achieve that. <laughs> well, she was talking right. about her country, not ours. <laughs> but um, I think it applies to ours. Not a frantic, venomous <laughs> vitriol. But... Uh... But yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, no, I do really like that line. Um, especially, you, you imagine, like, well, I know Ross commented on this, but I think I had a similar, uh, yeah, similar kind of imagine or, like, image for, like, the word resolve and just this sort of white-knuckling, gritting-your-teeth type of thing. But, yeah, and there seems to be something, like, very uniquely British about this sort of, like, good-humored, like, laughing at things. Yeah, and to some degree, that's not entirely inappropriate, you know. And I do like just the, I mean, the, the initial line, I hope in years to come, everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to this challenge. Because, um, yeah, like, it was a challenge, and there was a response that was required. And um, Yeah, I, I think that, like, that just seemed like a particularly unifying line. You know, like, we all want to do things well like even if we have different ideas in terms of what that looks like in particular um but like but yeah i, I mean i thought it was uh yeah just kind of liked that just very simple very to the point like it's the type of thing no one could really argue with right yeah forcing everyone to like take the long look and be like how will you tell your grandkids we acted in this moment that by whatever means, like, the world, the whole world had to face it, and, you know, we don't know. At April 5th, like, we weren't sure how bad or good what it is, but, like, we had to figure it out together in the least to, like, get along with each other and um, framing it that way, I think, took, it was very unpolitical, I guess. Any thought, Mike? Uh, I'm trying to. Th I, I've got something for the pride component. I'm trying to think of something, uh, something unique to contribute for that first, uh, first dimension. So Boris Johnson, he was yeah. prime minister at this time, right? Yep. Who is, um, is my understanding, sort of like a, a diet Donald Trump. 
a Pepsi Zero Donald Trump. <laughs> um, and I, I just sort of like wonder like what what the like synergy was between the two of them in terms of messaging and and representation um, as British leaders. Um, particularly with respect to that first point, you know, self-discipline, good-humored resolve as being important attributes in, in getting through this sort of thing. So I don't have an answer to that. I'm just sort of sort of wondering. I don't know if you guys have any any uh, insight on that one. Well, I think because, I mean, <clears throat> you know, the queen, the king, the monarchy, like, never comments on almost everything. It's like... yeah. yeah almost to not have an opinion um, and to let the elected parliament to figure pretty much everything out. Um, and so I would, I mean, for her to never even like chime in on September 11th or Iran or Iraq, Afghanistan, like to me, those wars were bigger than the Gulf war. Like she talked yeah. during the Gulf war. She didn't say anything for like, all the Middle East work that her own grandsons were like yeah. getting involved in. Um, and then for there to be probably enough weight to come out here, like I would imagine there was some tension or some like, yeah, yeah. we need like the national family with the longevity and the non-politicalness to weigh in. Like we're, we're in a gridlock here and yeah. Um, everybody's getting out of hand like now you have to talk like to in order to force her hand i think it probably yeah boris i don't know what he was doing at the time but i would imagine he it was having great. parties in his courtyard <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think the thing that most stuck out <clears throat> stuck out to me from this speech and this the the background resources uh that were added to the outline is yeah the significance of the British monarchy, the king and queen as figureheads. I remember learning in social studies, you know, in grade school about the different dimensions of the role of a national leader. And I just remember the two that stick out to me is commander in chief and figurehead. And there are like 10 other ones, but those are only two that I remember. And how what makes the United States unique is that the president is all of those in one versus in at least britain the figurehead is the king and or queen and the well although i thought i saw they were the commander-in-chief too or something like that i believe the um they do weigh in on where to use military force i i know for a fact the like when i know for a fact spain the Spanish monarchy all reports up through hmm. the king and queen. That's the only power they have is the armed forces. Oh, interesting. So I, well, I can't, I, that might probably be true for Britain. As re well. Regardless, there's still compartmentalization there among like the sort of like ultimate leadership um, regarding different dimensions um, of the national leadership there. But yeah, it's sort of go along with what you guys were saying. It's like, um, it's it's impossible in a sense for the monarch to be political because there's no voting for them they're just there <laughs> you know and so there's this really like elegant sort of 
I mean, I suppose that they could be political because they, they of course, have their own political interests in one side or the other, just as as people. But like practically speaking, you know, if you just, it does you know, sprinkle on a little bit of virtue, and it's like it, it makes sense how it can be so that role can be so divinized um, in a sense. And I, I don't really mean that in like a really negative way, but just practically transcendental way is sort of, I think, the the right way to put it. Um, which, which goes along with some of those other articles that were posted there for the monarchy, um, mm-hmm. the, the, the pro-monarchy sort of things. Um, so yeah, that that's my comment on that. Maybe to transition us to the second aspect of that quote with regards to like pride. I guess there's there's two major like group. No, I guess maybe three. Like three major groups, um, which I was a part of throughout COVID, where I reflect. There's like varying degrees of like pride um, in how I interface with COVID, and I would say the three groups are friends family and my church um some people might like throw work in there but since on a farm we're like always outside like i don't i don't really put too much weight right. in that that one um yeah friends is a little bit more nuanced um church i think might be worthwhile uh, sharing a few words um yeah so an immaculate conception in columbia like our COVID protocols under the direction of the diocese was um, for a year and some months, like writing, I was a minister of hospitality slash usher. So we all took turns, like taking down names, whoever is at mass, writing down their phone number, spritzing hands, um, you know, making sure they had a mask or having free masks available when you guys came, when people came in. What I sort of like feel or comment on that experience or that sense of pride is like, man, I mean, we all, we all cooperated for the most part. And even like with the actual act of like name taking and spritzing, it like gave you an opportunity to do one-on-one interactions with every single person who came through the door. Yeah, so I mean that aspect I'll like sort of miss because um, we just stopped sprissing hands uh, recently. Yeah, that would be my biggest comment on uh, the pride factor regarding regarding the church. Um, yeah, very much a sense of like coming together uh, sort of sort of experience. There were yeah. there were a few I'll say infamous people who not only refused to wear a mask when it was free and provided for and every other single person was wearing one they were anti-spritzers too they (laughs) refused sanitizer and it did you know rationally or irrationally it did create like a certain like distance between them like you you just don't want to participate in this in this thing that we're all like, obviously no one's being forced to do it. Like we didn't like tie them down to spritz their hands, but it's like, we're asking to participate in this thing and you're choosing not to do it. And it just creates a certain, certain distance there. Right. So there were, there were clear and obvious tensions all around. Do you think, do you think we'll have a short memory or a long memory on like, Specifically, like you know who those people were. 
Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. So like do you already forget about that or are you like mm, I know? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Mm, I think it's a very complicated answer. <laughs> Have you forgiven them, Mike? <laughs> At one level I say yes, a short memory. But I want to do like sort of a parallel analysis to like the Spanish flu. But that I think that I was sort of want to set that off to the side because I think it might be too big of a rabbit hole for now. So let's let's just leave it there. I'll leave it. My answer is hmm, yes and no for short yes, memory. No. <laughs> okay, another question. It seemed like middle of COVID. Like, oh my gosh, how are we ever going to shake hands again? And I don't know. Now that we're mostly out of it, like it seems like handshaking is like probably around i don't know i do it just as much as i did before yeah no one seems like offended by it but there in the heart of it is like Mm -hmm. why would you touch someone um Mm -hmm. and in that respect like i I don't know i don't think i i don't know if we'll be carrying this with us for much longer i think we'll hopefully remember like the fond parts or like the good old days when we all like got i don't know like (laughs) i'm sure there was like neighborly tension during the great depression that was like yeah sure. give me bread like yeah. i didn't need it but like all you ever hear about is like we all survived and we're so much tougher than mm. you because we did right sure yeah sure <clears throat> that's an interesting yeah that's an interesting thought and at first i weren't sure what wasn't sure what you're getting at with the short memory long memory thing but i would hope that like there's enough complexity to the situation that there's some level of understanding that it's like I screwed up or you screwed up or none of us knew what we were talking about, (laughs) you know, that like, yeah, there'd be a sense of humility there. And yeah, but that isn't, yeah, I I think that is an interesting topic about like, or comparison just with the great depression, you know, like, yeah, we got through it. You know, I mean, it might take generations. Like it's all, yeah. Yeah. The only people I've ever talked about are like super old, um, seventies, eighties, nineties, I guess. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would imagine there's like all kinds of stories of like bankers taking your homes and people lost jobs. And like, that was, uh, everybody knew everybody. It was, most people live in smaller towns than they do now. Um, so there was probably a lot of pent up animosity that either went away at like world war two or just over the decades, but it didn't seem to have lasted. <clears throat> yeah, so this might be a good point just to go slightly further uh, along the rabbit hole I was mentioning. Yeah, I I agree with you, Matt, that for most people, 80%, that that's the rational, natural sort of follow-up to take to things is like, yeah, I mean, it's really complicated. Yeah, glad glad that we made it through, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then we'd forget, you know. Right, because the remember from one of our episodes long ago from uh, what What's-Her-Face, the letter, Luciano is her name or something. Um, right, like there was the, mas- the exact same masking issue during the Spanish flu. 
right? But mm-hmm. like we we were not hearing stories passed down generation to generation <laughs> about you know, let me tell you guys <laughs> if the government tells you to mask, don't do it, right? Like you know, it it just disappeared, and obviously that was a lot more serious of a situation. Um, yeah, so that that's where I would like agree in the sense of like yeah, it'll be a short memory. The reason I'd say no, there's something through um, something that has happened over the past four years in COVID is sort of the nail. Uh, COVID is a major pillar, I would say. I don't know if I'd say nail in the coffin, but major pillar that has marked the beginning of a major transition, I would say, from the republican democrat sort of politics from i don't know when (laughs) i get well the republicans obviously obviously started with lincoln the democrats as we know it jefferson okay there's some transition that took place in the course of president trump's presidency that began there um and so as i'm marking the notes it's it's the death of a certain kind of republicanism in the midst of this COVID that I believe we will never go back to. That's going to change, significantly change what America turns into over the next hundred years, for better or for worse. What did old republicanism look like and what does the new um, one look like? That's I would different. I would say traditional republicanism is something like the Bush Bush Reagan, you know, pro-life no capital or no, I'm sorry, capital punishment sort of thing, you know, free market sort of thing. But it, it's sort of the um how how would I say it? Because I obviously like it, it. I guess what's what's the because it seems like those are all like what's how's the new one different? Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a um, the symbol of being a Republican was more important than that individual's character. I think it's just the most tight, concise way to articulate it, which which I think alienated a large faction of center right people that we've lost to the left. Again, I, I don't want to go too far in this direction right now, but that's just to explain. Gosh, Dane, what was I trying to explain? You were trying to explain why we won't have a short oh, memory yeah, and exactly. why because this will stick. The, the tensions will stick with it's us. It's too sticky this time. That that's It's too tangled up in other things is what I mean by that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that maybe in the Spanish flu, you would have had, you would have probably had the president, Woodrow Wilson, who was a... Yeah, that sounds right, yeah. Right, like they probably would have, I don't know, the symbolism of that, you know, with the U.S. One of the articles we read was like, in England, the queen, the king, the monarchy is the symbol and the politics are left for the parliament and they're very much split. Whereas in the U S those are all wrapped into one guy every four years. And that provides for a lot of, yeah, I'm not sure what word, but, uh, it's very different. We, yeah, we tied this closer to the politics versus then it might've been a separation of spheres, politics versus health. And yeah, I doubt the president even weighed in on, 
what to do. It was probably yeah, like, he never remember it was from mostly like, just cities. It was mostly just cities and states, and yeah, no one asked the president. He wasn't going to say anything. Whereas, like when we're all only tuned into one Twitter yeah. and one TV, like he has to say something, and he's trying to get reelected. So, so this like, this could be a good uh, mm-hmm. segue with a question to play with from the outline: is how would COVID have been different without the internet? Yeah, because it's it's not even just a matter of like. Because I think when I first thought of that question, my initial thought was, oh, all of the people consuming the internet. But at the same time, that would also change the type of communication that was conveyed. You know what I mean? And there's also not the same, I think, social awareness of what's happening in other places that I think di- like disproportionately like just weighs on like an individual's conscience. Right? So like... I know in, in like a previous episode, like like we mentioned different ideas of COVID. It's like, oh, well, that actually wasn't what like the CDC said or like who actually said this, you know, irrational thing. Like, was it Trump? Was it Trumpites? You know, or was it CDC or was it like Bidenites? You know, who uh, said or did a given thing. So I think that might be the biggest thing. Is like now there's it's not even. Well, I guess one, like it changes how communication is delivered, right? So um, there probably would have been like, I don't know if there was a CDC <laughs> pre-internet. Well, there was, yeah, I guess there was, there had to have been. Like it would have been like a poster in your doctor's office and maybe right. a letter, you know, and that would be the extent of it. Um, and then like, you know, just whatever this the school did whatever that you know communication was given to churches they you know they had their little signs up you know it would just be like that sort of thing whereas now it's this politician's a hypocrite because they did this and well, this politician's a hypocrite because they did that and like everyone's a hypocrite because yeah i don't know but the thing is it's not not just that because it's not like the the transactions of digital information is not just it's not just additive, but it also like smothers the information which comes through the poster in the doctor's office or something else. So I just finished, <clears throat> I just finished the book. Uh, I don't remember where I initially saw this recommended to me. It's called "Amusing Ourselves to Death," written by mm-hmm. a sociologist. And this was written like 1985, and this guy was ranting about television nonstop. Little did he know. <laughs> what was coming (laughs) (laughs) but he made a lot of interesting he kind of kept saying the same thing over and over again but it was necessary to get the idea um i'm sure you guys have heard the term the medium is the metaphor yeah right how how would you go about commenting on the idea that there's a certain very valuable tethering of between value of the information and how hard it is to push that information out. So the two, the meta, the comparisons being, how hard is it to post a podcast? Well, you obviously have to record it. And well, make a podcast listenable. Okay, you have to record it. You have to do a little bit of editing, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, right? You know, so several hours. Versus to post a tweet, which is what, 200 characters or an hour, whatever it is virtually zero energy and input versus publishing a newspaper versus publishing a book. 
So without considering what the information is, what do you guys have to say about the inherent value of information among each of them? I can sort of guess what you're going to say, but we can sort of still, still talk through it. Is there something to be said for the value of the information based upon the medium through which it's presented? And what do what does the average American have to say about that? <laughs> I mean, it seems like you're getting at the more hours that go into it, the more you should weigh it, right? Yes, like, right, exactly, <clears throat> yeah. Of which, yeah, if all you had was CDC guidelines, like, I don't know, it'd be pretty boring. And what, we had like ampli amplified opinions and... Is that what you're getting at? Just like what's posted in the doctor's office versus what we end up consuming. And yeah, like, I mean, you very rarely like, like how, like how the much, number of <clears throat> how much of our behaviors regarding COVID were motivated by. Oh, yeah. and I use R in a very broad sense. How much of our behaviors were motivated motivated by things that were not only easy to generate with regards to information, but easy to access too, right? Because that's that's another like half of the whole coin, not just how hard it is to generate, but also how hard it is to access. Um, they're in interesting sort of like, thought experience isn't exactly the right word, but something like that. There's a, a guy I worked with um, at Jabot. And you know how you get those things or on your phone, right, that are per personalized, obviously, where it's like, Columbia, one of the top five fattest cities in the United States, right? Like, just something, or you won't believe this about Columbia, or something, like, right, personalized like that. And this guy showed this to me, and was like, oh my gosh, you won't believe, like, this thing about Columbia. And he meant is is like a real thing, and it was real enough that I like didn't play off of it because I felt so bad like saying, no, that's that's nonsense. That what do you think the likelihood that Columbia is really one of the top whatever in this sort of thing? And it's just yeah, I don't know. I'm just sort of like running with various like getting into the average mindsets of the average people regarding COVID. And it's like. <clears throat> But the rise and fall of Mars Hill. So I've listened to that yeah. series now twice. Me too. Um, Me too. We're on the same boat there. It's just like, it's just like. Okay, so, so well this produced. is. Ah. <laughs> All right, tie it. I dare you. I dare you to tie Mars Hill to this. Here's here's why I like, like right the now. rise and fall of Mars Hill. Is <clears throat> because it's a. It's it's. It's a pod. It's a journalist, a publication series that believes in divine providence and God's grace in our lives, but is also deconstructionist. I think those two things are great when that deconstruction is focused on either yourself or something that you identify with. As opposed as a, to as opposed to being focused as on, opposed to being like um, deconstructing like truth like, itself like, like reading like reading someone on the left deconstructing the right it's like okay that was hard reading someone on the right deconstructing the right it's like okay yeah like, yeah yeah that's a good look yeah, in the mirror and improve yourself like I can read and think and grapple with those things if it's coming from like 
someone who believes or is trying to better themselves on those things. But so much of it is like crossfire deconstruction. It's like, okay, you're... It's an interesting... Yeah, that's well articulated. Yeah, right deconstructing the right versus left deconstructing the right or vice versa. It's like... Which they both only... It's like, you guys know you disagree. Why do you have to create more reasons to disagree? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I... Okay, so... Here, here's the thing that I sort of wanted to bring up, but yeah, I don't know how well this is going to fit, but it's, it's an interesting thought. And I'll be curious if you remember this, Landon. Um, this was from the episode of Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, the, the episode where the journalist is interviewing Mark Driscoll who, for uh, listeners who are not familiar with this, Mark Driscoll is, quote, a pastor who was fired for being an asshole. He did nothing criminal, did not commit financial fraud or anything like that. He was just fired for being an asshole. Or sexual, which is... Yeah, yeah, that too. So there was no, like, it was just a prank thing. But anyway, he was on this interview for um regarding this book that he had just published i don't remember which one it was but really a book that he was he had just published and this journalist um obviously mr driscoll did not know this was about to happen but the journalist um said accused him of uh uh plagiarism regarding this book which threw Mark off, and he tried to, like, get around it or talk himself out of it, but he couldn't. And do you remember this, Landon? Yes, it's the episode called The Tempest. And what ended up happening was the journalist, mind you, she's a Christian herself, right? There's a Christian podcast or whatever the thing it was she was producing. She was the one who was criticized and shot down for tearing down Mark. And they do explicitly, I believe, make the connection in this episode between, yeah, getting on my anti-Trump soapbox again, but between President Trump and Mark Driscoll. And I think, I don't think they used these words, but it was how I see it is the symbol became more important than the sin. And I think that's the transition that I'm trying. I was trying to describe earlier that took place in conservatism in the mid 2010s, right? Because it was more important. And and actually, I was just reading, a, listening to a bonus episode, "The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill." The guy, the author that Mark Driscoll plagiarized against. What? How? How was it? Like, he actually asked Mark Driscoll for, like, a $50 Starbucks card to, like, call it even. And Mark Driscoll didn't even send that. (laughs) And so, like, they wanted him to sue, but he didn't want to because it wasn't worth his time or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, but I I think that really well characterizes that that idea. The symbol became more important than than the sin. But, But, again, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's that space of the... The de- the de- the space for deconstructing within Christianity or or the right. I had another thought, but I don't want to hog the floor, so you guys can run with something if you like. I think maybe to add, I think there's a lot of characterization that ha- has happened during COVID regarding the right and those critical of the CDC in varying capacities. Um, that I think does get 
just kind of thrown out loud there as like, oh, well, of course they're idiots and they're just, you know, reading clickbait and they're completely incompetent and they're morons, you know, because I think they're, while like there certainly are people like that, like I know them, I've had conversations with them, you know, the Bill Gates microchip, whatever people, <laughs> right? Like, um, yeah, they exist for sure. Um, but at the same time, like, I think there's a decent, and I would say like most of the people who are like more critical are more or less the folks who are like, yeah, the CDC has good things to say and we'll follow like pretty much everything. But like, I just want to see my grandma when she's on her deathbed, you know, and like, that's more important than COVID right now, you know, um, or the people who are like, well, like at this point, like there are some people who have contravailing opinions on vaccines. I just want to hear what they have to say, you know, as opposed to like YouTube, like shutting them down wholesale, you know, even though they mm -hmm. may, may have credentials. Um, like I know JB Pritzker threatened the medical license of a U of I doctor who like criticized a mask, man a mask mandate. Um, and just like people consuming like public, like your, your more liberal media outlets, like were vastly overestimating like COVID hospitalization. And like, they were actually more misinformed than people like looking at Republican news sources, um, or more conservative news sources. So like, I think there is a, a so like, a, and to use your, like your journalist example, I think there are a lot of people who are on the right who also feel like the journalists who are like saying, Hey, like, look at this, this stuff. Like some of this stuff doesn't match. Like, why is the CDC doing this? Like why, you know, I, I feel like there's some things that are kind of either, you know, governors overstepping their bounds or like going beyond what the CDC says, or like these things are being implemented and these things aren't like, what's the deal? You know, the people who are the, the, the journalist kind of calling out sins, um, among the more COVID conscious, um, I feel like they were all like, I, I just know that a lot of them feel the same way. Like they were kind of castigated. Um, as like the crazy conspiracy theorists, um, you know, like Joe Rogan having on, like, I know Joe Rogan's not a medical expert, but they, he's a pretty good interviewer. Um, you know, just interviewing like the person who invented the MRNA vaccine and like YouTube threatened to shut him down for it because the guy who invented the MRNA vaccine had like some just nuanced ideas and like questioned like different facets of like how COVID was being handled. Um, same thing with like one of the leading cardiologists, like he had both of those guys on and like people railed him for it. And he also had Sanjay Gupta on, who was like the main CNN, like doctor expert. So yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of that going both ways with COVID that like, to your point, I, I think will make it a little bit stickier, you know? Um, cause yeah. I think there, but like, I don't know. I mean, I think it is good to remind ourselves of like situations like the Spanish flu, because like. I thought there was a really cool example that was brought up. People were protesting similar things, but like nothing came of it, <laughs> you know, like the government hasn't, you know, uh, become a tyranny. And, um, so like, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think there's a lot of, yeah. I mean, who knows? I suppose time will tell is a short answer. Would a permanent American monarchical family solve any, solve any of this for us? We just like put the Bushes or the Kennedys or the Clintons 
in some sort of permanent, or is that what we fought the revolution? <laughs> well, for? as we read in one of those articles you posted, it, the monarchy can't be manufactured. It has to organically yeah. Yeah. emerge from the spiritual ethers of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, when I lived with a guy named Javier in my first year of graduate school. He was an exchange graduate student from Spain, uh, obviously a uh, monarchical country. And what he said, one of the things that he loved about America was that we have a clear beginning, right? 1776, boom, Mel Gibson got them british <laughs> and led george washington to battle both scotland and america share that in common it began with mel gibson yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean this yeah but i guess the point is with his his comment is that it just clearly elucidate obviously more elucidates like the positives of the american story you know the clear beginning but at the same time, it also clearly elucidates the other side of it. It's like, yeah, where does Spain begin? I don't know. A hundred thousand years ago, you just had a bunch of tribes walking around. And at some point, some really big hulking dude killed this huge lion who had traveled up from Africa. And they made him king and bam, there's your monarchy, you know. Yeah, there there is something that yeah you just can't get away from that. We just have a hunger for wonder and mystery and things you can't quite explain, and and the monarchy uh, nails that down. Yeah, I will. I'll just use the quote. Uh, we're referencing a little some lines from David French. Um, it's a primordial institution smuggled into a democratic system. It's nothing to do with merit and logic, and everything to do with authority and mystery that has you know it's not a, a result of the enlightenment but rather uh, something that has bled over from earlier times and been chopped up the powers have been hacked away given over to the people via democracy but we're still left with like this old symbolic thing that you know walking around the streets of london like not everyone loves it but everyone's pretty darn okay with it and it's not going anywhere anytime soon yeah it's one of those articles you posted a 20 percent disapproval rate of the monarchy consistently ever since it was invented <laughs> what we we've got a c.s lewis quote here that i i think if if we have a quote to read from him we should just, um, oh, just so that we don't get posted for misinformation. I think the article is like the past hundred years, it's been 20% disapproval rating. For oh, okay. So. okay. Interesting to hear CS weigh in on it. Where men are forbidden to honor a king, they honor millionaires, athletes, or film stars instead. Even famous prostitutes or gangsters. For spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. Deny it food, and it will gobble poison. So, his point being, perhaps the primordial nature of kings and queens is like just so innate to the worldly human experience that perhaps better to have like somehow somehow have a virtuous family and hold them to super high standards rather than 
allow for like basically what we see in America. <laughs> sure. And it's, yeah, I think the organic nature of it is really what gives it the appeal. You know, like we could never institute anything like that. That wouldn't be like roundly ridiculed. Yeah. And like, I don't know if anyone could decide on a person to like be that, right, that's, you know, that's, it's just, it's just wild. Like millionaires. It's like, all right, Hugh Jackman, and Jeff Bezos, who would argue with that? <laughs> he's Australian, like he's athletes, not American. like, like, you know, you go to, you know, after you ask LeBron James, like what he thinks about COVID, like we all look to yeah. the celebrity, like prostitutes, like Kim Kardashian. What does she think? About <laughs> She's not a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> She is We're famous. I feel like C.S. Lewis. She is famous can, because of those of sorts of activities. Tape. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> like, I think that's a fair assessment. That, that was how she became famous initially. She supplements. It supplements her fame, <laughs> maybe. But that is our stand-in, and like that's who we like. That's who a majority of the culture was like. What do we do about COVID? Like, what do the famous people think? Yeah, and. Well, they say like, imagine. They don't, they don't they really have... imagine together, right. and that fixed everything, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think that um, having a natural, emergent, like group of people who are pretty, like, roundly considered to be like decent people, you know, um, have this kind of rule where they're supposed to just be as decent as they can. <laughs> Right? That's kind of like, yeah. it seems to be like the standard they're held to, you know, or they're kind of expected to, to model. Um, yeah, I suppose that's kind of an interesting phenomena. But like, I think the the part that sticks out is just the the blatant denial of like rationalism and logic and enlightenment ideals, which I think is good to have. You know, I think there's a healthy rejection of that. Um that that is a good thing right like you never fall in love or marry someone because it's logically sound and it just you know that like if you were to read a love story about someone who is like well this person just really made sense because they're nice and they're good to me and this is the just the best person i could reasonably hope to find like what that's lame you know like no one's gonna enjoy that um no adventures are maybe not not i don't know it's it's hard to imagine an adventure that started with like pure logic as their like impetus you know um and like for more of like a catholic analogy like there's no devotion to the sacred brain of jesus right like there is a devotion to the sacred heart of jesus like so there's this kind of um desire to um yeah get to the heart or the emotion and the you know the something that isn't purely logical of something and, yeah we um, we have this natural recognition that that the desires of the heart, the transcendentals, as the ancient Greeks called it, obviously, are somehow naturally tethered in some sort of ultimate way to the the wanderings of the universe in a way that, that our brain is not. Um, yeah, an interesting sort of like parallel example, like in the United States. Well, I don't know. It, it's sort of an example. Just, just in terms of like... Um, in an anti-rationalism sort of example if you will whenever i go uh you know to colorado or one goes to colorado you know you have like those mountain towns and they're just like perfectly manicured all of the like 
com- commercial signs are like four feet tall, perfect landscaping, all of this stuff. In contrast to like the Midwest where you got, you know, the Knights Columbus Hall with one K that's not lit up <laughs> and like... You know, this huge invasive bush growing out back that kids lose frisbees in, right? The point is, is that all these sort of like things that aren't perfectly manicured, they're somehow like tied up in the character of the people in that landscape, right? Versus in the Rocky Mountains where everything was built after 1945 it's all designed. It's the 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 thoughts and designs of like five people rather than the very messy emergence of this thing that you can't quite explain of the thousands or hundreds of people who started that small town or and or that county and, and all that, that stuff. Was, I, I think that's that very Wendelberry of you. thank you and maybe even to connect like to connect some of the covid stuff too because i think there is a strain of of the anti-rationalism in the people who are just critical of covid policies you know in that like there's this very like wily scenario of life that can't be like just perfectly handled. Oh, well, the COVID, the CDC said this, so that's clearly, you know, like I feel like there's there's an element of that. Like most people wouldn't articulate it like as eloquently that way and like there's this sort of irrational but like meaningful thing, you know, that they're trying to implement. I think most pe- like most of the people who are especially like the pe- you know, the jerks you mentioned at the church who are just like blatantly uh poo-poos about it. Um yeah, like they're jerks for sure but yeah i feel like there's a a decent amount of that you know this sort of irrational but um but like well gosh there's something meaningful here and i just i don't know i'm just skeptical of it you know yeah uh i yeah i agree like just yeah from a fundamental principle perspective you know something to the extent of like yeah i mean you obviously do have to live live your life um and and i think there's elements of that in the people who are who are like really cautious too you know like i've seen a lot of pay like i don't know we have most of our patients are poor um so i've just yeah i mean there's a lot of like people from very different backgrounds that i interacted with like and like COVID has come up with a lot of them um and it's just been interesting to see like the people who are like super, super scared of it and just coming up with these like very bizarre things that they think will help <laughs> help them like either prevent it or, or avoid it and be really cautious about it. You know, there's something irrational, but like meaningful to them. Um, that's like, yeah, I think just as valid as like the people who are critical of it, you know. So like, I don't mean that as like, a, yeah, I mean, I think that that dynamic cuts uh, a variety of ways too. Yeah. Um, in relation to COVID, but yeah, I guess a lot of things. I, I would not say just as valid though. I would agree that they echo each other in a certain sure. way. I would, I would argue that there's something in a sense easier about both extreme ways. Right. It, I, I think so. Repair going back to running is like an example. It's like in a certain way, it's really easy 
to train when you're just going like balls to the wall because like what do you do you just go balls to the wall or it's really easy when you're just not doing anything and you're just resting (laughs) (laughs) it's finding that sort of like middle ground um that can be so complicated but there is something that's like very real about wearing a mask that um that can like make you feel good right that if you like stop there or not wearing a mask that can make you feel good it's like yeah, if you're wearing a mask while you're walking down the street, you probably should feel like a doofus, right? Like, I mean, from <laughs> from from our perspectives, at least, it's it's like. But it is in the right quote unquote right person. You can also see how you would feel like really good. I'm wearing a mask down the street. I am being like. Super, I'm doing everything that I I'm can. Being super yeah. duper safe. And. I don't know. I don't know where to go with that, except maybe something like, man, I mean, it's just Jordan Peterson and his ideology thing. But it's like, how how do you how do you break people from from ideology? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I I think because I I think the monarchy is one. I think it's a little more interesting because it's yeah. I think it is this kind of very mystical human thing. But like maybe that's just like what. Because just as we need to take pride, as Queen Elizabeth said, in how we handled COVID, I think we should also take pride in how we handle post-COVID. You know what I mean? In terms of like, all right, because like this could be a sticky, long memory thing. Or we could like really cultivate like that grace that we like we've just kind of discussed that we like probably should give each other. Because like, who the hell knows what the perfect thing to do was? (laughs) You know, like you know, various countries did various things and had various results. And like, you know, you can slice the data a million ways, but like, uh, but yeah, I think there is this sort of mystical and human grace that like, I think can and should be emphasized. Like as we like recover from the virus, like in terms of just societally, what, you know, economics and whatever else, but also just like as a, yeah, just as a people, you know, and as, as just understanding each other and, I don't know, moving forward in a way that's like unifying rather than perpetually divisive. That's a good point. Really good thought. I think it's possible. I think, I think it seems like we've lived on the polar extremes of several things for the last couple of years. And at some point, hopefully we can all just get fed up with it and live with each other a little better. But yeah, I, I, I think one of the things that I jotted down, I think ties in well to that. Um, yeah, I mean, when you really dial in hard, final numbers currently for number of Americans who have died from COVID, one, how, one point something million, right? And it's not one percent of our population, but it's point three percent. Which, I mean, a million people is a million people, right? That's that's a jarring experience to go through and it's yeah along with what you said matt it's like you can't you can't over blame people for their response one for one way or the other because because it's it's just jarring just yep. period um but as president biden so aptly said <laughs> the pandemic <laughs> is over more yeah more essentially 
and yeah there yeah I, I i do agree that the virtue is in putting putting behind us um you know as much as we as we practically can any sentiments we held towards maskers anti-maskers or, or whatever sort of iteration uh that was there yeah because in another circumstance we could have easily been been the person who was refusing hand sanitizer <laughs> <laughs> There's microchips in the hand sanitizer. <laughs> Maybe a good natural segue to our final finishing. Yeah, I'm open question. to suggestions for how. What's the best question to end it? What do you got? Well, I jotted down what what advice you know after we tell our children, our grandchildren, our our child yeah. Rahab about <laughs> about COVID, the practicals of COVID, how we spent our lockdown. And post COVID, what's uh what's the final advice before they go into their pandemic of twenty eighty? <laughs> yeah, I'll lead. I think going back to the Queen, the Queen Mother Elizabeth speech, it was an opportunity to slow down, pause and reflect and, and pray a lot. Um I tried to do that and met my wife, now the child that whose children may, I may pass these stories down to, like, what'd you do during COVID? I, I just slowed down and figured out how to, like, I don't know, get in a relationship or focus on different parts of life. And started a podcast during COVID. Um, you can look it up. The Speech Guys. It's on Spotify. <laughs> or wherever you get podcasts. That was great. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. Our kids might listen to this at some point. They probably won't, but it'll be on something called the Internet Archive. <laughs> I would I would pay uh five hundred dollars to hear what my grandpa had to say when he was thirty something years old. So um let alone thirty episodes of it. But um yeah, I mean, I think I think my advice would would reflect something similar. What we were just sort of riffing on with uh, the post COVID uh, virtues disposition is, I, I think, in many ways, COVID is similar to climate change. Climate change and any other sort, of like I mean, even like sexual morality, is bigger than our brains can handle, or a lot of people's brains can handle. Even though the right answer, the right act, the right behavior can seem super obvious to you or come easily to you or whatever it is, you're still forced, quote unquote, forced to carry the rest of humanity with you, whether that humanity is your friends or family or stranger or everything in between. You have to, like, cultivate within you those, like, various little nuances to be, you know, to be the person whom whom they need you to be in all those other small ways, right? Because hating on them on Twitter or in that inner voice of yours is not doing anyone any good. <laughs> it's not helping us get through this. It's not Republicans' fault that... Two mil, well, you know, a million plus people died, and you know, uh, zero people would not have died if everyone were a Democrat. You know, that's just that's just reality. It's it's somewhere in between that we all fell. People did the best that they could, and yeah, 
it was a time where you basically asked millions of average Joes to like make risk calculations based on an ever-changing pool of data regarding public health, personal health, uh, virology, immunology, all while balancing like family issues, uh, political persuasions, like personal feelings, um, and like dealing with all of the other millions of calculations by other average Joes. You know, it was kind of a weird time, but like the fact that most Americans like did modify their lives in a very, very substantial way. Yeah, I think is a true miracle, you know, and I think God was working through that um, in terms of like motivating people to consider others differently, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, like there are a few like weird parts, potentially like threatening aspects of just how like people handled COVID, but, um, like overall, like we did it for, you know, this is assuming, assuming everything goes, (laughs) but yeah, like we have a country episode 100 of the speech guys return of the COVID. (laughs) No, but, uh, but but yeah, like um, there'll be times in your life where like, yeah, you're going to have to modify and do things that you don't want to do. And um, you're not going to know exactly the perfect way to handle it. And like, neither will the people around you. You just got to trust God and move forward, move on and have a, a good humored resolve. Should we keep the music? Thanks for drinking. And thinking. Landon, say with us. With us. Cue the music. To a better place. But yeah, anyway, to surmise, Mike Schaefer, our Mike Schaefer does look uncannily like dustin johnson add add him to my list of well-known doppelgangers who are your other ones oh well i mean i wasn't gonna bring it up (laughs) since you mentioned it well um bradley cooper is the most frequent one every few years the cheeks especially it's the the cheeks beard and hat uh george clooney i've gotten twice Really? <laughs> only people who've won Sexiest Man Alive. Yeah, only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you guys? Have you guys? I, I know we've talked about this before, but doppelgangers you've been referenced as. I've gotten Peyton Manning once I or twice. That. I can see mm-hmm. that. I can see um, that. I've gotten. Uh, former basketball, I don't know if he's still a basketball coach, Scott Brooks, he's not super famous, but I've been told I look like him. And someone said I looked with glasses and bald hair, I looked like Tom Arnold. (laughs) So, that was only with glasses and a shaved head, so. Landon, I know I've said this before, but the guy who's sort of like a douchebag in Napoleon Dynamite. Mm. You remember that one? I don't. Can you guys picture that guy? I can't. Definitely not. 
It's purely physically. You're not a douchebag. I'm, I'm, I'm not offended. I'm not offended. Only, only physicality. Mm-hmm. My uh, newborn son, born September 7th, is Landon Everett Free. Uh, I have to assume that uh, Everett comes from the famous Edmund Everett, who spoke for two hours before Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address. Okay, that's a great notation, <laughs> because I had come across that <clears throat> once we had decided that uh, he was going to be named Everett, but I did not fully start doing research in that. He, that, um, where was that gentleman from? Wasn't he... He had he, a cool was time. he the preacher? I think we talked about him in the Gettysburg Address yeah. episode. Uh, I don't think he was a preacher. He might have been, but I, I felt like he was... Yeah, I don't remember. A uh, little bit more the senator from Central Illinois, Pekin, Everett Dirksen. Dirksen? I know I recognize the Dirksen Parkway. Yep, named after him. Um, Does that go through Springfield? Yeah. Uh, technically, yeah. no. Dirksen... Well, yeah, there is a Dirksen Parkway in Springfield. Yep, there's a few things. He was senator from Illinois for 20 years, 1950 to 1970, um, and was basically like head Republican. He was always in the minority, but he's the minority uh, leader, so to speak, who swayed a lot of the key like civil rights votes and. Do you think anyone else has named their child after him? Uh, I wouldn't say we named him after him, but that's the only other Everett we like knew of. Oh, he, yeah, not not a direct naming, but a hey, we like this name. Let's research who we like. Is there any other origin stories? And when I first saw the name, I thought of Everett Dirksen. Um, but yeah, we don't know. When when we were in Germany, we did our little family. We did like a family research. We found a document that took some of our ancestors back a couple hundred years, and the first name in there for free was Everett Free. So, uh, kind of a phonetical tie on. When we saw that, we were like, that's so cool. He's basically kind of the same name as the first written yeah. ancestor. Yeah. So, whoa. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Yeah. Do you guys know your name origins? I do. I think they just like the name. Technically, it means open green pastures, which fits. Hey, kids, go play in the landing down there. <laughs> I just realized the play on words there, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought you did that on purpose. <laughs> no. <laughs> so here, this is an idea I have for a, a name for a da daughter, mm -hmm. God willing. Um, you guys, you guys may use this name if you would like before <laughs> me. Um, naming my daughter Ray, short for Rahab. Ooh, hmm. interesting. Remind us the story of Rahab. I like that. Rahab. I like Ray. She's 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 the one who uh, was a member of the foreign country who housed the uh, Israelites. Yeah, before. the spies right before the fall of Jericho. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. yeah. Nice. And one of uh, Jesus's ancestors as expressed mm -hmm. in scripture. And the descendant of Palpatine turned Skywalker. Also a Ray. <laughs> I thought you were going to say after Ray Barone. <laughs> how's, um, how's Lauren doing? 
really good. Um, we had a had a pretty easy process. Um, yeah, it didn't push very long at all. Natural, no C-section. Oh, good. So, bounced awesome. back pretty quick. We've gone on long walks and worked at coffee shops and kind of getting out and about again. So, cool, mm-hmm. cool, cool. How's how's the pay at coffee shops? <laughs> <laughs> That was really good. Are you on strike yet? 